You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey everyone, Tim McMaster here with the Yankees podcast. Brian Hoke, our MLB.com Yankees reporter along for the ride. And we have a lot to talk about, believe it or not, Brian. I know you were thinking when I when we called you up, uh, no news, but there's plenty to talk about with the Yankees. We're going to get into the Hall of Fame ballot and some former Yankees that are very much uh, some of the more interesting cases there. The top 10 prospect lists are coming out starting this week from MLB Pipeline, and we can talk about a Yankee that's on one of the early lists that come out, that has come out. We'll also talk about a bullpen that could be tremendous in the Bronx this summer. But first, Garrett Cole, who is not a Yankee. Instead, he has gone to the Houston Astros, which is bad news for the Yankees when you think ahead to the possible matchup in the postseason, if all things go well. Um, but we were talking about this a little, Brian, before we started. I want to get your take because I've talked to Yankees fans who were actually happy that the team didn't get Cole because I think a lot of Yankees fans just love all these prospects and just want to hang on to them. I could definitely see that. I, I think that... Uh... Yankee fans have definitely fallen in love with the youth movement that's going on in the Bronx, and that's something that's going to continue into this year. And uh, from what I understand, the talks with the Pirates came down to the Yankees were going to have to give up Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar, the third base prospect, if they wanted to seriously be in play for Cole. And, you know, we can go back and forth and debate uh, the return that Houston wound up getting. And, uh, you look at Cole's numbers, the Astros think he pitched in some bad luck last year. They think he's going to bounce back a little bit, joining the world champions, of course. Uh, but I, I think the Yankees were right to not give up Frazier and Andujar for Cole. I think that uh, they're pivoting to do something else there. But, um, you know, Frazier's blocked in the outfield. I think I could see why Brian Cashman would want to dangle him as the as a trade chip. But if the season started today, Miguel Andujar would be your starting third baseman. So, uh Certainly somebody that the bat, they believe, is big league ready already. Uh, the defense is getting there. It's something he's still improving. But uh, they think sooner rather than later this guy is going to be in the Bronx. So I, I definitely understand why the Yankees did not want to give him up. Yeah, absolutely. And interesting you said that, that something could still happen. And when you look at the package that the Astros did get, I would say it falls short of Frazier and Andujar. Uh, a little more quantity, but not as much quality. They did give up a, a ready-to-go big league pitcher in Joe Musgrove, but I think no one really knows what Joe Musgrove is just yet. Colin Moran is a highly thought-of prospect, but um, it's been a slow road for him to get to the big league. So I think the Yankees kind of standing pat where they did was was a good move and instead of jumping to that. Um, as far as Andujar goes, uh, the top 10 prospect lists are coming out. I don't want to give too much away because third baseman isn't out yet, but you can expect Andujar to to check in on one of those infield lists from MLB Pipeline. But one guy that has already come out is uh, the left-handed pitching list, which came out on Wednesday. Justice Sheffield is number three. Um, another guy that Yankees fans are very high, or Yankees as an organization are very high on. How close is Justice Sheffield? I think he's somebody you can dream on. Uh, you know, this is somebody who missed two months of the season last year at Double A, but was able to bounce back and pitch in the Arizona Fall League. He made five starts out there, pitched pretty well, and uh, you know, Yankee fans are going to really like this guy when they see him this spring. Uh, yeah, he should be in big league camp. I'm sure he's going to get into some games, but. You're looking at a left-hander who throws the ball 98 miles an hour. You know, there's been some talk about should he be a starter or a reliever. I think that that remains to be seen. But 
Uh, you know, the folks at Pipeline see him as a number two or number three starter in a big league rotation. And so this is somebody you can be legitimately excited about. I, I don't think he's going to make the opening day roster out of camp. That would be a, a pretty big jump to not have pitched a triple-A. But uh, he's certainly somebody who I think could be in play this season. And you, you might see him make his major league debut. So we'll see how Sheffield does in the spring. He can open some eyes with the new coaching staff. Uh, they'll get a look at him up close and personal. And then I would think he'll be on the short list of guys who could get called up for a spot start or maybe help out in the bullpen. So far, right-handed pitchers came out Tuesday, lefties on Wednesday, catchers came out on uh, Thursday, which is today as we record the podcast. Then it'll go around the infield and onto the outfield, and Yankees fans can expect to see some more prospects from the organization to make those top ten lists for sure. Uh, Mike Petriello has a story out this week about the Yankees bullpen and, Brian, the possibility of it being ready the best bullpen of all time. And I don't even know what that means. And Mike Petriello admits in the article that neither does he really. Uh, but he uses a lot of numbers. Obviously, he's one of our big StatCast guys here at MLB.com. Um, but one of the points he makes is that when you look at the bullpen in 2017, it ranked as far as FIP goes, fielding independent pitching, fourth all time between behind the 2003 Dodgers, 1964 Reds, and the 2017 Indians as well. Um, but that takes into effect the, the fact that David Robertson didn't join the team till late in the season. Same with Canely. So you're looking at a bullpen that was very good last year, and they expect in 2018 to have a full season of some of the guys that made it so good late last year. So when you think about it that way and you look at the names with Chapman and Batantis and Robertson and Canley and Green, Warren, Shreve, the depth is amazing too. How do you see this bullpen? Well, here's my smart Alec comment. How can they have the best bullpen of all time without Mariano Rivera in it? So uh, that, that was my first thought. But I think that the Yankee bullpen is going to be excellent. Um, you know, C.C. Sabathia was talking recently, and he said that the same as last year, you go into 2018 thinking you really just got to give six, seven innings and then hand it over to the bullpen because they are so good and so deep back there. Uh, you expect that Chapman and Batances can straighten out the mechanical issues they had. You know, Chapman fell out of the closest role for a little bit last year, so it wasn't smooth sailing the entire season. Chad Green was fantastic. Can he replicate that? Uh, David Robertson was very good after coming over. As you mentioned, Tommy Canley, I think, can do a lot more this year. I, I think that uh, he impressed for sure, especially in the postseason. Uh, I think he can build off that. So they, they definitely do have a deep crop of guys in that bullpen. They should be able to lock down leads. And, you know, with the offense they've got, when you're talking about Stanton and Judge and Sanchez in the heart of that lineup, I, I do think there's going to be a lot of two, three, and four-run leads for these guys to protect. So, um it's definitely going to be a big part of the team. You know, the Yankees want to add another starting pitcher, but the bullpen might be their greatest strength, and that's saying something because of the lineup that they have. In 2017, they had the third lowest ERA in the big leagues, lowest average against by other teams, highest strikeout rate, and the biggest war at 9.2. And he makes the point that if you had put together all those players that are currently in the bullpen if you put their whole seasons together for 2017, that FIP number jumps up to 40, and the highest ever is 32. So a lot of interesting points in there. It's a fun article to read just to kind of dream on this bullpen. But, of course, bullpens, Brian, are are just so unpredictable from year to year. These guys seem to be dependable, but then you look at Dylan Batances last year and how undependable he became at points, and you never know. 
Absolutely not. Yeah, it's a guessing game from year to year with bullpens, and they fluctuate so much. So that's you see general managers scratch their heads so much because you, you give a big contract to a guy who is lights out, and then he's just not that guy the next year. So uh, the Yankees really do have to hope. I, I, on the other hand, they can hope that Patances is not the guy that he was last year, particularly in the second half. Uh, you know, when you're six foot eight, your mechanics get out of whack, and that's really what happened with him. Uh, he, he became, he was unable to control his fastball, so he became so reliant on the breaking ball. And, and when you can't throw your fastball for strikes, it's really hard to succeed at the big league level. So that's something that Dylan Patances has worked on this off season. He went back down to the Dominican Republic. He was working out on that. And we're going to watch that closely in the spring to see if his walk rate is still as high as it was in the second half last year because, as I said, it's, it's really tough to get out when you're not throwing the ball over the plate. It sure is. All right, let's talk about the Hall of Fame ballot a little bit. And a couple of former Yankees uh, are very much in the discussion, as they have been really for a number of years. Um, one guy who's getting really close is Mike Messina. He's currently, um, as the votes are slowly tabulated and collected on the Internet, uh, 72.8% of the ballots have Mike Messina right now with 46% reporting. So that number generally is going to come down a little bit. So it doesn't look like Messina is going to get in here in 2018, uh, but he's certainly trending in the right direction. And this is my thought, Brian. When you look at Messina, there was an argument for him, obviously, in the in the past years. There's a, there's a lot of interesting numbers. The win total, obviously, is huge. The ERA isn't great. Uh, he was 270 and 153, a 3.68 ERA, uh, eight of his 10 seasons with the Yankees. Um, but once Jack Morris got into the Hall of Fame, thanks to the Veterans Committee um, last month at the winter meetings, you look at Mussina's numbers and Morris's numbers. Mussina, 270, 153 with a 3.68 ERA. Morris, 254 and 186 with a 3.90 ERA. I just feel like if Jack Morris is in the Hall of Fame, Mike Messina has to be there with him. I thought that even before Jack Morris got in. I thought that Mike Messina should be a Hall of Famer. I don't have a vote yet, but if I did, I would definitely put him on my ballot. And I think here's the best argument I can give from Messina. Yes, he has 270 wins, and that's fantastic, but he pitched his entire career in the American League East with Baltimore and New York during a time when, let's be honest, steroids were impacting the game. He was a winning pitcher. He was able to shut down those massive, overloaded lineups. Uh, consistent winner year after year. Finished his career as the oldest first-time 20-game winner. Walked off in 2008 as a, and got that done finally. Almost pitched a perfect game. You know, all the other stuff. Uh, he was in the Cy Young voting. He just happened to pitch at the same time that Pedro Martinez was in Boston, so he got overshadowed. But, yeah, Mike Mucin is a Hall of Famer in my book, and I think that sooner... At some point, it may not be this year, but uh, certainly now that Jack Morris, you can make those statistical comparisons. But uh, Mike, you've seen his career in the AL East. I think that uh, longevity, numbers, he's got what it takes to, to be in Cooperstown, and he should be there. It's his fifth year on the ballot, so five more years after this, you would think he was definitely going to find his way in at some point now. And I think he's getting a little boost from the Jack Morris vote as well. Things against him, I guess. He was only an all-star five times. Those all came with the Orioles, none of them with the Yankees. And, of course, the ERA, not great, but you mentioned a lot of the reasons for that are those lineups that he was facing, and he was still able to beat those lineups. So he's one interesting case. And then, of course, there is Roger Clemens, who's 
in his sixth year on the ballot, also trending in the right direction right now. He's up to 65.6% uh, with that same percentage of ballots in. Now, he is likely to take a bigger hit before the final votes are tallied just because of the people that are holding out oftentimes with him and Bonds don't have him on the ballot. So he will likely drop a little bit from there, maybe into the high 50s. But still, four years left on the ballot, we'll see. He's certainly uh, heading in the right direction. But the interesting case of Clemens is nobody will ever argue that he didn't have a Hall of Fame career. No, of course not. Yeah, obviously it's the performance-enhancing drug use or suspicion thereof that uh, we're talking about, Mitchell Report, all that. I mean, chapter and verse, we don't have to go over it again. But I, I think what you're seeing is there's a younger crop of voters who are coming in, and, and that's why you keep seeing Clemens gain in percentage every year. There's a, a group that's more forgiving. You know, it's a generation that grew up in the 1980s and 1990s watching this guy dominate, seven-time Cy Young Award winner, uh, 354 wins, you know, just off the top of my head. Uh, this guy, this guy was great. Uh, you know, with Boston, with Houston, with New York, with Toronto, he would go out there, and he was definitely a competitor. Uh, I, I remember the day at Yankee Stadium in 2007 when they stopped the game and announced that he was coming back in mid-game, and he would come back and help the Yankees make the playoffs in 2007. It turned out to be the the end of his major league career, but uh, you know what a career. Obviously, there is a cloud over him and guys like Barry Bonds. And but if you're looking at the numbers and only the numbers, I, I don't think there's any argument that those guys don't deserve to be in Cooperstown. I think that uh, as time goes on here, that that's getting relaxed a little bit. And uh, you know, Joe Morgan said what he said, and I think there's a debate to be had on both sides. But uh, it certainly does seem to be trending in the direction that. Uh, one or both those guys is going to get 75% of the ballot and go into the Hall of Fame before their time is up. And Clemens and Bonds currently exactly the same percentage, although oddly not necessarily on all the same ballots. Some of them are different. Some people actually have Clemens or Bonds on a ballot and not the other one. I have no idea. I can't figure out the Hall of Fame voting, um, but but it is what it is. The other former Yankee on the ballot, Andrew Jones, who didn't play long with the Yankees, but briefly was in there. He's going to struggle to stay on the ballot. He's right at 6.2% right now. You have to stay above 5%. So we'll hopefully get Andrew Jones enough He'll get up enough there to at least stay on the ballot for a little bit longer so people can continue to look at his career. All right, that's going to do it. This has been MLB.com Extras, our Yankees edition. For Brian Hoke, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.